This morning we're going to continue our uh, series in Acts, chapter 11, uh, verses 19 to 30. Just to put a little bit of context on that, last week uh, Nick um, talked about Acts chapter, thir- chapter 12, sorry, uh, which covered the death of James and the imprisonment and then release of Peter. Um, the first of this week's reading, which I'm going to do, is from chapter 11, so we're going backwards a little bit. Um, and then in a moment, Nick's going to read from uh, the start of chapter 13 as he starts. Uh, and I, th- I think that's what he's going to be preaching on this morning. So, uh, so just a quick reminder, this reading here comes shortly after Paul's conversion, which is in chapter 9, and then the, account, then the encounter of Peter and Cornelius, um, who's a centurion in chapter 10. So we're now reading from chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, reading verses 19 to 30. And it says this, it's the church in Antioch. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians for the first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the time of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And I hand over to Nick, just as he comes up, let's just pray for him. Lord, I just pray this morning for Nick, and I pray for us, and as we sang in that last song, I pray for our belief, Lord. I pray that you will cure any unbelief that we have. And bring your spirit on us this morning. Bring your your word to life um, through the Bible reading, but also with Nick sharing. interpretation of, of what you're trying to say to us Lord through this Bible reading pray for Nick that he'll use your words and uh, he'll come with the confidence and uh, to bring your spirit upon us Lord amen thank you Nick thanks Bill the reason we backtracked is we've just found out how the church um, in Antioch got started and at the end of that reading um, the Antioch church sends a gift to the church in Jerusalem. Um, And when we get to um, the beginning of chapter 13, um, actually the very end of chapter 12 says, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned home from, uh, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John also called Mark. So in a sense, the the very end of chapter 12 and the beginning of 13 pick up uh, what happened at the end of chapter 11. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that's right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. Notice that's a different Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. And after the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. And then um, Paul does. He stands up and speaks. And you, we could have read the rest of the chapter, but I thought it was probably a bit much for, uh, for one morning. Uh, you can have a little look at that um, in, the, in your home groups. But here's the question. We're looking at all these instances of prayer in Acts. And here are the church leaders um, praying and fasting. And the question is this, how do you plant a church? How do you plant a church? You're going to send these guys off to plant. How do you start a church? If you had a sudden desire or a sudden conviction that the Lord had told you to go, uh, get up, uh, start a new church, where would you go? Who would you ask? What do you need? How would you go about it? And how should we, as your own church and church leadership, respond? All these questions actually come into play in just a few verses out of chapter 11 and chapter 13. And this comes as a turning point in Acts, because the church in Antioch makes the first planned efforts at overseas mission to Gentiles. So I want to show you a map. It's on the next slide. Can you see that? So... Just above my head. There. That's good. There's Antakya. Okay, that's the place which had this devastating earthquake. Um, was kind of like really near the, the, the center of the, the earthquake in, in, in Turkey earlier in the year. Antakya, that's Antioch. That's... Um, it's known in the Bible as Syrian Antioch because even though here you can see there's a little bit just up here where Turkey dips down and this bit over here is Syria. Um, it, it used to be Syrian 
So it's, it's known as Syrian Antioch because can have the next map. Next slide in. Oh no, I didn't put the map in. I didn't put the other map in in the end. Um, as we go across Turkey, um, there's, there's another Antioch, which you'll find that Paul reaches in here. Okay, so church planting. It's, it's interesting living in Staines. It's been an interesting experience being here now for 12, nearly 13 years. Staines is an interesting place in that it has about 20 churches um, for about 20-odd thousand people. Um, and that number keeps changing because people keep trying to plant new churches in Staines. Not very many of those churches, people who try to plant churches in Staines, come and talk to us. I'm not sure what that means. I'm not sure what they think of us. I suspect it means they, they either don't know or they think we're not doing a very good job. But be that as it by, is that right? Well, that's a question we'll ask today. And then across, across time, time here, time in other churches, every so often you come across people who, who feel they have a, a, a call from God and, and they set off individually to, to start something new not often with a, a, a great deal of success. Is that right? Because, let's face it, a handful of Christians um, started Stains Com. Just there were five or seven, I can't remember who signed that original covenant that we read at the members' meeting. They got together and they covenanted to start a church in Stains back in 1789. A church that's independent. In other words, it doesn't recognise any higher authority other than Christ. A church that is governed by the congregation. Is that right? Well, actually, quite a lot of these things we'll, we'll pick out um, of today's reading. So, next slide. Church planting, then. Church, that's about church planting in Staines. What about church planting in Antioch? So, Acts itself, it's not a manual for church planting. It's not a manual for church government, but it's, it's history. It's what happened rather than what necessarily should happen. But I think, so we have to pick our way and just see when, when is Luke saying this is something that should happen and when is it just, this is just what happened. And everything in, in Acts is new um, and it's in flux, but it's still worth us looking and observing and seeing what happens. So today we've backtracked a bit into Acts 11 and we find that the Antioch church is started by persecuting persecuted Christians leaving Judea um, and they're heading north, they're heading away um, from Jerusalem and a bunch of them who were originally from Cyprus or from Cyrene um, which is in modern day Libya had great success we read and the, and the church grew the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The Jerusalem church sent Barnabas north to help out and to oversee. He went um, to get uh, Saul from Tarsus and together they taught the church for about a year. And then there's this bit where they hear about the upcoming famine, hear a prophecy about a famine. And so they get a gift ready and they take this gift um, down to the elders uh, in Jerusalem. So Barnabas and Saul um, head back south to Jerusalem and take them a monetary gift 
um, because they recognize the church in uh, Jerusalem is going to struggle uh, financially, but also just in, in feeding itself. It's interesting to note that they took them to the elders of the church. Already they're starting to talk about elders as leaders of the church, um, not just the apostles. And when they completed their task, they come back to Antioch, and they come back with this guy, John, who's also called Mark. We've met him before because it was his mum's house where Peter knocked on the door and the servant girl didn't let him in. So that's how the church in Antioch starts. But what now about church planting from Antioch? When they get back to Antioch, so have a little look at the beginning. If you've got your Bibles open, have a look at the beginning of chapter 13. It's on page 1107. I've got a question for you, really. How you interpret this text. When they get back to Antioch, it says, in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Now, is that the church or is that the leaders? Could be either. I think the most natural way to read it is that it's the, it's the leaders who are, are worshipping and, and fasting. So I think they're having one of their elders' meetings, as it were, and they're praying and fasting. And the Holy Spirit clearly says through one of them, set apart Barnabas and Saul um, for the work to which I've called them. So notice Paul has already received his call. Yeah, so Ananias came and said, he's going to be my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles. But he's not, although he's received his call, he's not yet started. The kind of starting gun has not been fired. So through these elders, the Holy Spirit speaks and they say, set apart Barnabas and Saul. It's time. This is the moment. Off you go. They pray and they fast some more, lay hands on them and pray and they send them out. And they go, where do they go? They go into completely new territory. They go to the two big cities in Cyprus, the old capital and the new capital, Paphos. Along the way, there's a story about the sorcerer and the proconsul. But that will help Theophilus, because he's a guy who's got to... We, we suspect he's a high-status guy in the Roman world, so it will help him to know that this proconsul believes the gospel, um, this uh, Roman governor. And then after that, they head to the mainland. And this is the beginning of Paul's first, first missionary journey. We're not going to really get into it any, any further in this series. You can, you can read on. But I think there's a whole load of lessons we can learn about church and church planting just from these um, handful of verses about what happened at Antioch and then what happened when they send off Paul and Barnabas. So here's the first lesson. Any group of Christians has a right to start a church and exists. Next slide. Any group of Christians can, has a right to start a, a church and exists. Jesus said, where two or three um, gather in my name, there am I with them. Obviously, that makes absolutely no sense if there's a church already, already there. But these guys in, in Antioch, they didn't, they didn't wait for anything. They didn't need commissioning. Um, some guys got together. 
um, and, a, and a group of Christians came. And that happened in Antioch. That's what happened in Staines. That's what happened here. Our church was started by this little handful of people at the end of the 1700s, and they met over that little cafe opposite Zizi's, um, opposite the, the harvester in those really early days, a little room at the top. So we believe, in, in other words, in independency, in any church right to exist with, without respect of any higher authority other than that of Christ. But beware the lone ranger. Churches start by groups of people. Jesus said, where two or three in my name agree, there am I with, with them. Um, so that's not a kind of license for anybody to set off and I'm going to, I'm going to start a kind of chart, a church um, as an individual. Occasionally, somebody might be sent off as a, um, a lone missionary somewhere, but I think in the main, that's a mistake. Um, so this churches have a right to be independent, and they have a right to be self-governing. So we're an independent church, and we're a self-governing church. So we believe that a church can form and be governed under no, no authority other than other than Christ. We don't need bishops. Tell us what we do. We don't need a presbytery. That's like a, a, a you know local group of elders to tell us what what to do. Let alone do we need the state to tell us or allow us to do what we can do. Former members, what they did, they just covenanted together. They came together and made a pact and agreement um, that they were going to be a church in Christ's name. And then we're congregationally governed. We're not governed by any, any higher, higher level of, of authority other than Christ. So we're governed ultimately by the congregation. That's why we're a congregational church. So the members meeting to seek the will of God through his word and by his spirit have the final say. It's not a democracy. It's absolutely not a democracy in the sense we are not aiming to please the majority. It is a theocracy. In other words, we are aiming to be governed by God. So we're not trying to please the most people, do what pleases the most people. We're trying to do what pleases the Lord. But that's worked out through his word. We're trying to just simply obey the word of God, but we recognize that anybody might all have access to the word of God and anybody might have that right word of God on any given day. And that's why we have a formal membership. And I thought it was worth mentioning that this morning. We have a formal membership where you have to apply, um, and then you kind of like, we'll send a deacon and an elder, and they'll have a little conversation with you just to see whether you're, uh, you know, that you're really a believer. Um, and then you'll be, that'll take you to the church meeting, and they'll say, yes. Um, and you'll be welcomed into the membership of the church. But we have a formal membership because we're congregationally governed. That's the way um, we're governed. So I invite you to form an orderly queue behind Sarah um, over, over tea and coffee um, and, and come talk about uh, membership. If you're already a member, we need you to come to members' meetings, please. Because we're seeking, the word of, we're seeking God's will through the word of the Lord. We really need you to come and to pray and to think 
and to talk and to make decisions. And we're going to make some really big decisions in the coming meetings. Please be there if you can at all. So churches, we believe in this right to independency. We, uh, we believe uh, in congregational government. But churches then need leaders. And leadership is a, is a group exercise. Churches need leaders. Um, initially, what happens, you've got this Christ, bunch of Christians in Antioch and the Jerusalem church send in a leader. And I think it's a helpful pattern. And that's partly what we do through EFCC, which is our network, trying to put pastors into churches um, and give them some oversight and, until, they, until they can build up their own group of, uh, group of leaders. And Barnabas, in, in turn, recruits Saul, but by Acts 13, they've got this diverse group of leaders. They've got Simon, who's, Simeon, rather, who's called Niger, which means he's black. We've got Lucius, who comes from uh, a, a Greek colony in Libya. We've got Manaean, um, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. We've got a word which, if, it's, if you take it literally, it means they shared the same wet nurse. Um, slightly less literally, it means they were, you know, they were close friends, they were intimate. Um, possibly they were brought up in the same household. So they've got this really interesting group of, uh, of leaders. Um, they come, uh, you know, Barnabas is, is from Cyprus. Um, they come from a, a whole range uh, of, of cultural backgrounds um, and status. Presumably, Manaean has, has been brought up um, with royalty. Need diversity in leadership. We believe that eldership is, is a role for men. I'm not going to go into that this morning. But we need diversity um, in leadership. And leaders lead by teaching. Leaders lead by teaching. It's really important, isn't it, if, if this government of a church is essentially to be by Christ, through his word, by his spirit, then where do leaders factor into that? They teach. Leaders teach. So in Antioch, they, they, we say there are prophets and teachers. Possibly that's the same office. They're prophet teachers. And they need to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's what you need out of your leaders. Please pray for them. They have to walk with the Lord. And if you aspire to any kind of leadership, then you need to be able to teach. And that's why we do Illuminate, which is our kind of leadership training. We're training some theology for, uh, for leaders and new leaders. Maybe you feel called to leadership then have the conversation. Your home group leader or one of the elders. Don't be bashful about it. If somebody desires eldership, they desire a good thing. But in the meantime, increase your Bible knowledge, your Bible understanding. And I think since we have the Bible in full and we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, in other words, we believe that Scripture tells us everything we need to know for church and for Life. Prophecy then takes a kind of a bit of a back seat. But it doesn't disappear completely. I don't think prophecy has completely disappeared. And in fact, I think leadership, in a sense, um, has to be prophetic in the sense that it has to know what is the right thing to do at this point in time. So we have this balance of leadership in our church, um, and they're not opposed. The eldership and the congregation, they're not in any sense opposed. What they're both doing is trying to understand the word of God so that it can be applied, but it can be applied at, at this moment in time. 
So they're aiming at the, aim, the same thing. But in a sense, sometimes leadership is, is just prophetic. It is, it is that sense that God has laid something on our heart for this moment in time. It is the right thing. So we've said we want to double in size. In other words, we want to focus on growth. And that's always right. But the prophetic thing is that it now is the time. Now is the time to push forward um, and have our focus on that. We should note along the way um, that these independent churches are, they're not independent in the sense that they're, they exist on their own without reference to anybody else. So you notice that the Antioch church, they, they're well off in some sense. They've got a lot of people by the sound of it. And they recognize a need in the Jerusalem church. Um, they, they send them a, a gift. Churches, although we're independent, we're still interdependent. We work with Ashford and we work with um, All Saints Laylam um, in particular because we are all the church of Christ. Where there is the same understanding, um, we're all the church of Christ together. So although we're independent, we, that doesn't mean we act independently and unthinkingly of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Far from it, because we're all part of God's church. And what, just a couple of short things. Well, these things at the end. Missionaries are both called and sent. If you have a sudden sense of a call, you want to go somewhere and do something, that's great. How exciting. Um, here there is a, a call comes through the elders. But like Rob, for instance, or you know, potentially Mark and Sarah or, or, or Nathan... Um, there's a sense inside that the Lord has called them for something. Call that the internal call. And the external call is that, is that recognition um, by, by the wider church. That they agree. And those two things should agree. So missionaries or church planters or, or ministers or whatever, they are both called by God. They have an internal call and they're sent. Um, they're commissioned. And that's exactly what happens here. So I had a sense of a call to pastoral ministry. So don't follow my example. That's all I'm going to say in a minute. Okay. Um, I, I kind of explored it and some stuff and a, uh, was trying to explore different courses. And then the guy I was trying to get hold of and couldn't find, he came to speak at our church. Um, and he said, we've just started a new Bible college course. You've missed one Tuesday. You've missed a week. But if you come on Tuesday, you can start. And I said, okay, I'm coming. And I went. Um, and then I told the elders of the church um, that I'd kind of enrolled at Bible college. Um, and it's the wrong way around. But they were incredibly gracious. And they said, well, look, uh, for this, we'll give you some opportunities to preach this term, and then we will make a decision. So whether we think this is the right thing or not. And at the end of that term, they said, yeah, we think, we think this, this is right. And then they supported me wholeheartedly. Um, and it was, and it's fundamental. You have to have both the internal call and the external call or the external commission for things you want to do. If there's something you want to do in church life, just come and talk about it. And, and it, that's always the way. It's that sense of, well, there's an internal thing, um, there's an external verification of it. Um, and that prevents the Lone Ranger making a mistake going off too soon or going off unsupported. Um, but it supports those who are timid and think, I don't really know what I can do this, and I certainly can't do it on my own. 
Two more things. The ambition, though, if you were to be a church planter or a or mission person. So here's Paul and Barnabas. They go off to these big urban centers where they can reach the most people. They go to the Jews first, because Paul says the gospel is first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But he says at the end of Romans, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. It seems really obvious. Why do people come and want to plant churches in Staines? I don't really know. Um, I did have a conversation with, with somebody um, and they planted their church in Egham in, instead. And that's absolutely, that's absolute sense. And uh, God bless them. And I, I kind of um, want to honor them for that. They kind of realized there are churches in Staines that are alive uh, and doing things. Egham is much less well provided. So when people come to me and say, I'm looking, uh, so somebody came to me and said, I'm looking for something a bit more than just sitting in a church. And when people say that to me, I say, well, look, Stanwell has a great need. No evangelical churches in Stanwell apart from Stanwell Congregational Church. And that needs all the help it can get. And that's my tester of people's hearts. Yeah, I want to do something new for the Lord. Well, look, here's, here's Stanwell. And if people turn their noses up at it, then I kind of think that's a bit of a tester of their hearts. And this particular person, they went up and they were a member of Stanwell Con um, and making a difference from the inside. So the ambition should be to go where, there's, um, where there are no churches, to, to break new ground. Just a word about fasting. You notice they twice they fasted and prayed. I don't know about you, I don't fast very often. But sometimes fasting is, is that moment where you, you come before the Lord and you want to say, I'm more desperate for this thing, I'm more hungry for this than I am for food. Um, so I'm, I'm not very good at it, not very experienced at it. There was a, I, I tried because uh, for a period of time, um, say I'm not going to eat any chocolate um, and every, every time I feel that pang I'm going to pray for my sons who are not saved because actually that is the bigger pang see what I mean so it was just kind of saying for a while I'm going to let that hunger pang remind me of something else which actually I want more and I'm going to pray for it I did do that for a while so where does that leave you? I wonder whether you are saying in the back of your mind, this is just my imagination, but I wonder whether you're saying, I've had enough of this early church mission stuff, Nick. Can we just go back to kind of like maybe talking about the gospel or about how church works or, or even the Trinity, but enough of this kind of telling us we've got to uh, take the gospel out. Well, unfortunately, we can't. Because this is church. This is how church works. This is what the gospel is for. It's for, it's for telling. It's, it's good news. I don't pretend it's easy. But this is what it's for. It's, and actually, this is how the Trinity works. We will come back to that thought. But it's in God's DNA. God is a loving being. He is a, a trinity of, of, of loving relationships in himself. 
And it is in his nature to, to share that love with human beings and to draw that love uh, and to draw people into that love. Uh, and he does that at the very cost of his own son. It's the very DNA of God to, to reach out and show costly love which draws people into a relationship with him. That's what he does. So if it's in God's DNA, it's got to be in our DNA too. To not only show love amongst ourselves, a diverse group of people which we do, uh, modelling ourselves on Father, Son and Holy Spirit, but to be ready to draw new people um, into that love. I don't know how that slide got in there, but that's not the right one. Okay. No, is that? That's really weird. Can you go back a bit? Okay, go forward a bit. Go forward again. That's really weird. I thought I'd cut those off. And again. That's it. Cut, take it off then. So you might say, well, we're not all missionaries. Well, we are all commissioned by Jesus. This is the Great Commission. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is Jesus' commission to his church. It starts with a reassurance. All authority is being given to me. He ends with a reassurance. Surely I'm with you to the ends of the age. And in the middle, there's a commission, go and make disciples. As you go, in other words, wherever you are, make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So as you go, and we go into our week, this is, you are the continuation um, of this Antioch church sending missionaries who came here, who started Staines Kong, and you are the continuation of that work, which has carried on now for kind of 2,000 years. And I think you have to think of it like this. Each of your workplaces, wherever you go tomorrow, is potentially your own little Cyprus. Okay? An island where the gospel has not landed. That's what Paul and Barnabas wanted um, it was Barnabas's hometown. He was going somewhere where he was not unfamiliar, or his home country, rather. But tomorrow, maybe you're on your own little Cyprus. You might be the pioneer missionary to your workplace, or to your gym, or to your watering hole, or to your club, whatever you do. We have this mission to make disciples. So what's your part? Lead a ministry? Be part of a leading and guiding of the church through membership? Was it giving to the needy like, uh, like they did in here? Or all of those? Or is it to go into your own little Cyprus and be a pioneer missionary? Let's pray.